it's God first, other second, yourself third. The unique and cool thing about it is if you have that perspective, it comes back around to benefit you. Presents the pursuit. Go inside the locker room as Iwu Hoops trades the pursuit of me for the pursuit of three. Welcome to episode 5.8 of the pursuit. I'm Jeff Clark, one of the basketball coaches at Indiana Wesleyan. In today's episode, you'll hear about a key win the team had in a top 10 matchup in December. After scoring 68 points per game in the first two conference games, the team exploded for 96 points. In the first half, Coach Tonegal will join to talk about where he was at as a spiritual leader and the story he had behind the vision for the game. In the second half, Seth Maxwell will join to talk about that particular game and the journey he'd been on the preseason to that point. We're joined again by Greg Tonegal. And Coach, uh, we're going to be talking today about the Marion game, but I want to set the stage by Going back to last episode, we went to Mount Vernon and we scored 62 points and got beat. And then we went on the road and we won on the last second shot against St. Francis. Uh, and it was a great team win where Kyle had a, an amazing shot. But at the same time, we we're averaging 68 points through two conference games. What do you remember about how the team was feeling, especially on the offensive end, uh, heading out of that game into the Marion game? Well, I think sometimes I was just having a conversation with Neil Young about this the other day. I think... Uh, we assume that when we respond spiritually or, you know, we, uh, we begin to, to respond in prayer, God's just going to change things. And uh, if we do our part, then he's obligated to do his and things are going to, you know, quickly turn around. And so we, we respond in the way that we talked about. We, we go to prayer as a team, as a coaching staff, and then we head into St. Francis and uh, we don't explode. And in fact, I mean, we're lucky to get out of there with an amazing tip in by Kyle where, you know, St. Francis probably should have should have beat us that day. But once again, we're we're on the line. We feel like we're moving in the right direction. It was a step forward, albeit a baby step, but in, but in many ways we were moving forward, and that's what we wanted at that time. And re- real quick, I want to touch on that last second shot because what I remember about it is uh, we take a three in the corner to win. The shot clock buzzer goes off, but I think the game's over, and I'm frustrated because how we play. So I pick up my folder and I'm walking out. <laughs> frustrated and turn around and Kyle somehow has miraculously tipped this shot in from 15 feet uh, and we're winning the game. Our guys are celebrating on the court. Didn't even realize we had won the game. Really strange ending. And uh, obviously you didn't partake in the celebration. <laughs> we, we gave you a lot of, uh, a lot of crap for that. It was pretty fun. I remember, I don't know if it was the next day or a couple days later. Um, we got a text as a staff from you and, and I still have it saved. It said, let's all commit to some deep prayer time for our team. I know I want to change things quickly with the talk or an adjustment, but prayer doesn't always work that way, nor does our true spiritual depth. And we did just commit to some serious prayer time. And I remember how God just was speaking to you um, specifically about being on the attack, uh, which is what you really brought in front of the team. Uh, what, what did you mean by on the attack? Yeah, I think this was just, I began to really sense in my own heart uh, just where my leadership was off. Um, I think if if we don't pay attention to our own fears, what we do is we project them onto other people. And I do this all the time in coaching. And so I didn't like our team's performance. I began to fear that my team wasn't going to reach its potential. I mean, I think that's a simple common fear that many of us have as coaches. We take ownership for our team's lack of success. And for me, it was, well, you're not doing a good job. You've got all this talent. You guys aren't clicking. 
you know, here's where your team's headed. And, uh, you know, it seemed like we were headed to, you know, the bottom of our league and we weren't going to make the postseason. But as I began to pray, I remember getting up every morning because I had back-to-back scouts and I began to just ask God for a vision. But he wasn't telling me the vision. He was more or less convicting me and saying, this, this is where your heart is right now. You're, you're responding in fear. And what happens often is we overcoach and we underlead. And that's, that's not a good place to be in because what we're doing is we're picking apart our team. We're, we're making too many decisions that are paralyzing our team. And we're not leading. We're not empowering. We're not, we're not uh, motivating our guys. And so I, I just kind of took that before the staff, mainly because I thought I needed some accountability at that time. And uh, I spent some time in the Word, and we began to unravel that. Well, it, it would take as a leader – First of all, a commitment to prayer, because it sounds like there's already been this rhythm between you and God in these conversations. It wasn't just, oh, now I feel desperate, so I need to pray. But then the second thing is serious self-awareness and humility to be able to first look at it yourself and say, here's something that I'm noticing in myself. Now I need to be able to to grow in that first before I can then take it to the team. Yeah, I think the paradox of prayer is that it, it changes us more than it changes uh, our circumstance or, or people. But how often do we just pray for people and circumstances to change? But in, but in reality, God begins to change our own hearts. And I just recognized at that moment that, you know, I certainly needed that. Um, and, and I landed in 2 Samuel 16, and I was just reading and reading and asking the question, which has become a habit of mine, you know, where are we in the story? Where's my team in the story? Um, where do we find ourselves? What, what, what might God have for us? And it doesn't always come, but it became apparent to me as I was reading the story of, of David and his men. They were running from his own people, the Israelites, in, uh, I believe, chapter 18. There began a shift. And instead of running, they ran. And they ran into the into the forest. And they met the enemy there. And it was just this, this shift in aggressiveness. Rather than sitting back saying, oh, this is, these are all of our weaknesses. These are why things aren't going well. Um, it was an aggressive shift. Um, to being on the attack. And that was just the, the key phrase like, man, get your team on the attack. Stop, stop creating a passive team and a response to everything right now. Remember how clearly you challenge us all to not be passive, to run to the battle, but not to be focused on ourselves as we ran to the battle, to be free of self and on the attack at the same time. So before we get to that game and what happened the day before, what does it look like to open scripture and to be reading with God in mind first, but to see where you're you yourself and where what you lead fits into that story. Well, I think the conversations, you know, when, when I started talking to our team, it wasn't like, Hey, this, this verse is all about basketball. I mean, that's a little bit of a stretch. I think it was God is calling us as men to be on attack. And and when you leave this place, that's what we want. What does that look like? What does it look like to wake up and, and not go to your phone, but to go to his word and say, God, how do you want to use this word to bring new life in my job? in my family, in my community? What, is it, what does it look like as, as a father 10 years from now when things don't go well in my house to be on the attack in prayer, not to critique my wife or not to you know, lay a heavy burden upon my kids, but to be on an attack? And just I just told the guys, like, man, our world needs men who will be on attack. We need men who are going to change the trajectory of our, of our culture right now. And, and it was a fascinating conversation. And what we were trying to do is just give our guys a future perspective of who they can become rather than just living in the moment. But then we were able to transition that to let's, let's start that now. If we can learn to be on attack now, we, we can begin to, to live that way down the road. And, and we begin to see it unfold daily with our guys. 
we're hearing David's story intersect with our team a lot. It started with Shay's talk. It'll be heard again about in several weeks uh, when we go on the road in a conference game. And so often we, we hear you talking about how the word, the living word and prayer are really the driving forces behind our program. And that seems counterintuitive. Like, no, I pray and I, I read the word and then I go lead. But but what you're saying is, no, these are the things that are actually out in front that are always the the foundation of who we are as a program. Yeah, I think when we talk about the living word, it's fascinates me that that God had spoken something in the past, but has some sort of meaning for today. So yeah, there, there was that contextual piece that, you know, God told David to be on the attack. That's true. That was a historical, uh, you know, reference. But at the same time, the Spirit can use that to then teach us what kind of people we need to be. So when God calls us to be on attack, we can go conquer whatever challenges lie in front of us. And I think you have to be asking that question as you open up the Word. It, it doesn't mean every scripture, um, you know, points to me or speaks to me. But I think if we're very, uh, in, if we're living in prayer and in community with other people, I think the scriptures will shape us and will speak to our circumstances and give us something that we can then use to move forward in whatever challenges we're facing. And this doesn't always mean success. We heard in last episode how you would challenge a team a specific way, and we went and laid an egg at Mount Vernon. So it's not, hey, pray and read the Bible, and then you'll be successful. But but sometimes there's these moments where God just shows up in a unique way, and we hear from him in a specific way. And I remember that happened to you the day before the Marion game. Yeah, so I was uh, loved to, I loved to run. It's just a way to, to uh, relieve my stress. But it's also um, it's the way in which I hear God. Um, I guess I'm, I'm a fidgety person. I can't sit still very long. So when I'm running, I'm moving, I'm expending energy. But at the same time, I'm just I'm praying and I'm talking. And oftentimes I feel like God lays things on my heart. And it was during this run, God specifically laid on my heart kind of how the game was going to unfold that was coming up. And it blew me away how specific he was speaking. He even gave me a song. This may sound kind of crazy to people, but I stopped in the middle of the road. I was coming on campus and I just started raising my hands and worshiping. And, And it was a moment where I just surrendered those fears that I had that were very paralyzing and God returned me to be fearless you know he years ago he, he said this this program is going to be fearless and your coaching is going to take fear out of the game and I needed to return to that and it was in that moment when God spoke that to me that I returned to that and the crazy thing was everything he spoke came true in that next game uh, in, in a way that was very specific and very um affirming to me that what I had heard was was very much what God had would said. It was really the first time that, that we saw Unconscious come to life. Um, the team just exploded from the tip. Uh, Mary was a really good team. We hadn't been playing well. And sometimes you just have those games where, where things go your way. Uh, we went into halftime up 26. We were up 30 early in the second half, which the teams weren't separated by that much margin. Um, they were a top 10 team. How did this connect with your prayer life? Sometimes, as we said, God comes alive in a unique way, and it seemed like this was actually a, an extension of what you'd been hearing in the Word and how you've been praying. Yeah, I think I think I was just asking God, like, what what's this breakthrough? When is this breakthrough going to happen? And uh, you know, as I'm on my run, He just showed me a picture of it happening and, and the way it was happening, and kind of some players that it was happening through, and. At the same time, I saw myself relinquishing these fears that, that were holding me back and really holding my team back. And, and once again, I, I just go back to that idea. When we coach in fear, we, we not only paralyze ourselves, but we paralyze those we lead. And there, there had to be a relinquishing of that for me, a, a letting go 
um, of that for me. And, and realizing at the end of the day, I coach people, not basketball. And, and those people uh, needed fear taken away so that they could live, live up and lean into their own potential. The, the vision set forth starting in episode one is unconscious for the team to be free of self, um, to be on the attack. And, and it came true in this game. Now, as we said, this vision is never something we're, we're there and we just live there forever. But it did give a picture of who we could become if, if we truly lived in unconscious. I remember coming in the locker room after the game and you said, hey, let's just get on a knee and just thank God for this because he was part of this. Uh, doesn't mean we're always going to play this way. Doesn't mean we're always going to have an, a moment like this. But when we have them, let's make sure that's where our attention turns first. Yeah, it was pretty fun, and and that yeah, I've seen that in scripture over and over. You know, God delivers His people, or God, He does something amazing, and the only response is is to bow in reverence and just say thank you. And we did that as a team, and uh, it was a moment in season that that I'll never forget. When we come back, we're going to hear from Seth Maxwell, who. Uh, is going to talk about what it's like to be on a team in those moments where you just go to another level and some of the stuff he'd been going through in the preseason to that point. This podcast was created to take you behind the scenes of building an I Am Third culture in a basketball program. But IW Hoops believes this philosophy can translate to any context. As we enter this one-minute halftime, we want to let you hear from our sponsor, Insurance Management Group who is building a culture of I am third in the insurance industry right here in Indiana. Here's IMG president, Trent Daly. Pursuing the I am third lifestyle has helped me grow as a leader in all aspects of life. Putting God first, my colleagues and customers second, and myself third has impacted IMG in ways I couldn't have imagined. At IMG, we have a passion for people and helping them achieve their goals. We are not just an insurance agency. We are a culture and an experience. You should expect more from your insurance agent. Visit us now at www.insmgt.com. Now back to the second half. We're joined now by Seth Maxwell. And Seth, in the first half, we heard from Coach Tonic about the Marion game. But before we get there, I want to I want to rewind um, all the way back to the summer. Uh, your your brother Evan was was graduating and leaving and. We knew going into this year you were going to have big shoes to fill. Uh, can you take listeners back to your postseason meeting last year and going forward? Just what was going through your mind as you knew Evan was going to leave and you were going to have to step into bigger shoes? I mean, Evan had an awesome impact on our team, whether it was leadership or on the court. Um, and I knew I had to step into both of those positions. Um, I wanted to make an impact. And I knew I had to kind of – take the place of him, whether it came to like offensive efficiency and defense and things like that. Um, so I think I was nervous going into the season, not knowing what to expect, not knowing if I could fill those shoes. Um, and I, I did my best, and I think early on you could see the struggles of that. But you really committed yourself. This summer I mean, uh, you spent a lot of time in the gym, in the weight room, and you really dedicated yourself to the game maybe like you never had before. What sparked that desire to grow? Um, I just knew I had to do it for my teammates. I mean, my work ethic is, is, has grown so much coming to, into college. I think that's mainly because I'm working for my teammates because I know I have to be dependable. Um, also, Evan's just a huge body on the court, and I knew I had to step into that, so I had to put on a lot of weight. So I was in the <laughs> weight room a lot more than I ever have been. So I grew a lot in that area. And, and if listeners listened in last season, uh, they heard you down the stretch in the in the national tournament – Talk about how God just put on your heart to play with this joy-fueled aggression where uh, you weren't aggressive just because that's you wanted to dominate somebody. 
you were aggressive, fueled by joy for your teammates. But there's a tendency there to, to compare yourself. So you're thinking about on Evan and the, and the impact he had. You're thinking about the way he played. And, and like anybody, you start to compare yourself. Talk about the struggles there in, early in the preseason as you were stepping into his role, but maybe trying too hard to be a, a replica of him. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really hard to play with true joy when you're comparing or thinking about your performance. And I think it truly comes when you start thinking about others. And I mean, that's a constant struggle. I don't think you ever get perfect at that, but you can kind of grow in that and get better. And um, at the end of last season in the national tournament, I took a huge step forward. And I think that just kind of transitioned into a more leadership role where I could be dependable and um, just play with true joy, which can uh, help others play with true joy too. I got to be honest, uh, as I was thinking about our season this year in the preseason, a fear that I had was uh, there was going to be a role that you had to play for us to be great, that it would have been unrealistic to expect of you. You know, as a sophomore, you were going to have to be an All-American level player. Now, it turns out you played into that, but there was a lot of expectation and a lot of pressure for you to perform at a high level for us to live into being a, a national caliber team. And I remember in the preseason, a specific conversation where you came up to the office and you were frustrated and you felt like uh, you loved your teammates so much and maybe you weren't playing up to the level that, that you wanted to. Do you remember that conversation and, and what, what happened in that room? Yeah, uh, I think I everyone was always telling me my potential. I knew I could play into um, that position that I had to fill and that um, the production I, that I had to fill. And I didn't know what to go to. Like, I didn't know. I didn't have a go-to move. I was always kind of aimless. And you guys give us a lot of freedom, and I love that. And But sometimes, every once in a while, I just needed someone to just, like, kind of tell me what to do. Like... <laughs> Because there's so much freedom, you kind of like go with your instinct, but sometimes there's a thing that you do best. Um, and then in that meeting, um, I was just like, I need a go-to move. I don't know what to do. Like, I need some help. And you just uh, kind of took out some stats. Like, you are really good in the pick and roll, and you are really good at offensive rebounds. And you kind of told me to just lean into those two things. And that's when I just um, found freedom within, like, the restriction of what I do best. And I, I thought that was awesome. There is a tendency that we have that when things aren't going our way, we, we look at someone else that we respect and we just try to copy what they do. And even in post play, we see this where there's almost a, a pattern of what a post player does. You come in and you do a drop step and you do an up and under, but maybe a guy's not gifted to do that specific thing. And I remember in that conversation, we look back and Evan was a dominant scorer, but he was horrible at rolling to the rim and finishing. Like he, for whatever reason, his body just didn't function well. He'd much rather stand and shoot or face up or duck people in. Um, and you were trying to do those two things. Well, your body was maybe designed to live into it in a different way. And all of a sudden, uh, you said, I'm going to just roll to the rim. I'm going to set ball screens, roll to the rim, catch it and finish. And then I'm going to offensive rebound and everything's going to come from there. And we fast forward to the end of the year and you were in the top five in the country in both of those categories and points scored. What do you think it is that when you find out who you are and how you're wired and you live into that, that can take somebody to another level? Uh, I think just for my teammates' sake, doing what you're best at and not, not trying to um, just go past your limits all the time. I think there's a, there's a place for that, especially like in the summer. But I think when it comes season time, you kind of have to do what you're best at first and then let um, – kind of things expand from that once you see a couple buckets go down then you can then it's kind of easier for other buckets to go down but I knew what I was best at was pick and roll 
and what some of my teammates are best at is coming off the pick and roll. So I thought that was an awesome dynamic that we could create. After the year when we were just kind of talking about the podcast and areas of growth and memories, you mentioned this Marion game as one of your fondest memories. And immediately go to the box score and saw you had 14 points and, and seven rebounds, which was a below average game for you. So let's go back to the moment of that game. For some reason, you don't have a dominant game, but it still is such a meaningful memory what was it specifically about that game that stood out to you so much? I think that was the first game where we played truly unconscious. And I think there was bits and pieces of unconscious in other games. Um, but that game, we even when we were up 20, we weren't satisfied. Not because we just hated the other team, but just because we were having so much fun and playing with so much joy that we just wanted to keep going and play our hardest. Um, not for any selfish reason, because I remember... I didn't have the greatest game. Other guys didn't have the greatest game, but we all just had like the greatest joy playing in that game. So that's why it was so memorable. The first two conference games we've talked about in past episodes, we had averaged 68 points. Uh, and we went in and we put up in the upper 90s in that game. And so much of it was about this on-the-attack mentality where we together were going on the attack. Um, what's it like to be a part of a team in that moment where guys are just free of themselves – they're playing for each other, and the team is just elevated to another level. Uh, people, fans maybe have seen it played out on the court, but what's it like to be on the court and on the bench and in the locker room and during one of those games? Yeah, um, I think when one person kind of has that unconscious mentality and just that unselfish mentality, they end up encouraging someone else, and then that person ends up encouraging someone else. And if everybody on the team is just unselfish, not thinking about their own insecurities, and we're all just having fun on the court. It's just this sense of freedom where we don't we don't care about the production. At the end of the game, we don't even really care if we win or lose. Like we just play with joy. It's the, like the whole journey of the game is what we play for. It's not the results. And I think that's when things become truly worship as well. There's this pattern that you're talking about where in your life you've uh, stopped comparing yourself and you focus on God first and others second put yourself third, and all of a sudden you go to new levels. So I want to transition off the court because that happened to you really as you pursued your calling this year. You were looking at business opportunities and you were thinking, but there was something unsettled in your heart. And all of a sudden, as you prayed and as you talked to others and as you thought about your future, you made a decision to switch really out of the same sense of calling, uh, saying, I'm recognizing who God made me to be and I'm going to pursue that. So talk listeners maybe about that process for you and how some of the stuff we're talking about on the basketball court going to new levels when we're unconscious has translated for you to off the court decisions. Yeah. I mean, I was, I came to school undeclared. I didn't know what I was going to do. I was kind of following. Um, I don't like, I don't really know. I, I ended up choosing business and I think that's something that I always was interested in. Um, kind of owning my own business or something someday, but it was kind of just a thought that I had. Um, and then I just found no joy in there. I like, I don't know, I just couldn't find satisfaction in that whole um, area of study. Um, and then I ended up just going into prayer for a while and ended up finding out, like, I need to be in ministry. I don't know um, whether I might own my own business and that could be my ministry or what it is, but I knew I had to get into the ministry program just to learn more about God and whether it's for um, going into ministry. I just wanted to learn more about Him, and I knew that was a great way that I could learn about him. So I, um, through just not worrying about myself, I think basketball gave me a lot of freedom 
in um, pursuing others, pursuing God. And God led me to that decision, and I never looked back since. And it's going to be fun for listeners uh, as the season goes on to see how you truly did go to another level, and ending up being an All-American, the Conference Defense Player of the Year. And so much was tied into some of these early season moments where you truly put God first in your thought and decision-making and put others second, and all of a sudden you were the one who was elevated to new levels. On the next episode, you'll hear how I Am Third is embedded into all facets of the program. Specifically, you'll hear how the managerial program is intentionally used to raise up leaders who put God first and others second. In the first half, two former managers and IW Hoops legends will join, current head women's basketball coach Ethan Whaley and current sports information director Stephen Gidley will share about their journey through the program and the growth of the managerial staff over time. In the second half, three managers from this past season, Colin Barker, Ryan Geiger, and Connor Van Faro will share about their experiences and how they have grown during their time on staff. They will also give a glimpse into what happens behind the scenes as only an all-access manager can. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Pursuit. If you were challenged to grow from this podcast, please rate or review us on your podcast platform or share with those you know as it helps multiply the impact. If you have a question you would like to ask iWoo Hoops on a future episode, hashtag AskIWooHoops or email jeff.clark at indwes.edu. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at iWooHoops. Join us next time right here on The Pursuit. And remember, if you want to be first, first find a way to be third.